My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. Let's try it again. It's Wednesday, February 27th, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 255. Getting ready to write with posts in the wings. My name is Caleb Hegg. And I'm writing about 10th century Jewish scribal tradition for a talk coming up in Jerusalem, yo. This is Rob Banoff. Yes. We are pumped. We are so pumped. Dude, I, I, I give you kudos. You nailed it twice. The people couldn't hear it the first time. Who cares? You just, you're doing well, son. <laughs> you know what? I also you'll forgot. Make, you'll make a podcaster dude, out of me one of these. Dude, yeah. our, I don't know what's going on this morning. Hang on just a sec. Check this out. Caleb let has. Let there be light. Left the building. Oh. We're all over the place. There it is. Okay. Well, now I'm. Now I'm no longer in the dark. Um, so we got a lot going on. Rob's going to Jerusalem in April, but not before I go to Moses Lake. In one week's time, I, I drive to Moses Lake. Um, I'm not doing anything there except for running a booth, running a table. There's the Central Washington Messianic Conference. It's on a Friday. Um, I'm going to shake hands, say hi to people, and try to tell people that they should uh, sign up for classes. So, um, if you're going to be there, come by the table. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to be a pretty small conference, 60, maybe 80 people. And uh, so, I have, I have the distinct feeling that if you're at the conference, you will not only see my booth, but you will probably, um, you know, run into me at some point. Um, so, that's fun. And then, my family goes on vacation. And when we go on vacation, you fly... To, now, we're, we're switching a little bit. You fly to Jerusalem. I then move over into Spokane and take your spot on Shabbat. Something I still haven't looked at the passage that I'm teaching on on that Shabbat. But I'm looking forward to it. I think I forgot to mention it to the guys. <laughs> no, that's, that's totally fine. Is somebody no, else we're preparing? Good. No, we're good. Is somebody else preparing? That's totally fine. No, no. It's 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 uh, Tazria. It's uh, like Leviticus 12, like with the, the difference in, in the Torah commandments pertaining to the birth of a son versus the birth of a daughter. And then, you know, then the, uh, the mom comes on the, the whatever day and offers. Yeah. So it, it's, it's right into Luke, the, you know, the, the story of Yeshua's circumcision, et cetera, from the gospel of Luke. Yeah. Fun times. A lot of good stuff there, man. I'm excited. We're going to have a good time over there. Um, yeah, so, uh, and then not only that, but also Rob is writing multiple, uh, papers for, um, for different things going on. Like, uh, he's got two papers at ETS or at SBL this year in November, uh, down in San Diego. And I've then, kind of got five things juggling in my brain right now, aside from teaching my courses, I've got, uh, this upcoming paper. In Israel, which I'm super thrilled about, so I just I'm super psyched. And my understanding is that's going to be video video recorded. I say yes. videotaped. I'm a child of the '80s, y'all. <laughs> videotape and put on, so that'll be able, uh, you know, viewable. I at least that's my understanding online from the conference website. Um, so I'm hoping that'll that'll go well. And I do have a a a slide presentation that goes with it. So I don't know how they're going to navigate slide and presenter type of thing with their video, but I'm sure they're in, we're in good hands. And then I've also got a, uh, a paper that I gave in Denver for the SBL Midrash section that apparently is going to be published. 
in Woo-hoo. an academic uh, collection. And so I've got to get that ready f- to submit to the editors. And then they, you know, so I've got to get everything formatted the right way. All my citations have to be according to the SBL standard. So I've got the, I've got this SBL manual of style. It's like this big, big book that's got all the rules of for the SBL standard of how to cite sources and what order do you put the names in and stuff like that. Um, and then I've got another paper that are two papers for SBL in the fall that I'm super excited about one for the Midrash uh, section and one for the Masora section. And then I've got another paper to submit to a publisher by September. So Lord willing, if all, if all goes as the way it looks by the end of uh, 2019, um, well, I'll have a couple couple academic uh, accolades here. Let's not forget that before any of that, Rob Van Hoff is being published, an article is being published in Torah Resources' new book, Celebrate the Feast. That's right. Celebrate the Feast should be up and ready to go probably in a month's time. So right around the time you're flying out to Israel, we should be uh, selling the book Celebrate the Feast. It's a collection of articles between my father, who has the bulk of the writing. Uh, Myself, I have, I don't know, maybe three or four articles in there. And then Rob has one. Caleb threw me a bone. Caleb threw me a bone. He's like, hey, man, do you have anything on this? And it's, I'm like, well, you guys covered it all. There's nothing else to talk about. And then as the week went by, I'm like, you know what? Well, maybe I could do something that that kind of contributes rather did than well. just yeah. did very than well. rather just says the same thing again. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a nice. Uh, it's almost 300. I think it's almost 300 pages. The uh, the. Uh, Haggadah that I uh, compiled last year is going to be in the back of it. It's, uh, it's. I mean, it's. I, to be honest with you, I was the so I was the one who formatted the whole thing and compiled the whole thing. It's amazing to me the amount of work that we've put into uh, Passover and Shavuot. It's especially my father. Kudos to my father, Tim Hag, uh, for his his writing on you know all this stuff. It's it, it just and here, here's why this is so important. Because it's easy. I mean, you can go out there and you, there's other, you know, messianic quote publishers that have published Haggadah, you know, what does Passover mean and all this stuff. And in my view, and I think Caleb, you and I think your dad would agree that in, in the ones at least I've seen, there's been the problem of, of anachronism. In yeah. other words, conflating later tradition with earlier tradition. And what I believe this volume that we're prepare that you're preparing is going to emphasize what can we know from Yeshua's day not that we're not going to that we don't talk about anything from a later time period but we want to be helpful with developing a sound sober chronology rather than just grab in, you know, every, whatever you want from the rabbinic world and just say, Oh, this is what Yeshua was doing. You know, so th- actually, those so, book net, there's no question that those books sell, you know, well, here's, here's Yeshua, the Yeshua, the rabbi, you know, here, here's the thing, though. those kind of books sell. Here's the thing though, is they don't that, help. is that, uh, you know, my father's theology compiling, and I've said this on this show before compiling this book made me realize the, uh, maturing of my father's own theology. Sure, sure. And so, you know, I, we have things all the way from the eighties that my father wrote on Passover all the way up to modern time. Okay. And, uh, so you see this shift and what, one of the things that I had to do in a perfect example of this is his article on the four cups of, of Passover. Now, when my father wrote that, this is late eighties, he's writing this and he's talking about the four cups and how Yeshua was probably taking this cup and, you know, and it probably represents all this kind of stuff. So in the, basically what I had to do was a minor rewrite of his article not rewriting what he actually says, but putting into footnotes, <laughs> you know, footnote. We know that this is not, you know, so so kind of trying to reflect my father's current theology with the theology that he had and then letting the reader understand that. So it's it's really, it, it, to be honest with you, the thing that, that, I, that I thought about as I was uh, going through um, these articles and compiling them was, I wonder the, how much... Paul's theology matured. You know, oh, we have yeah. a, we have a lot of people who say, "Oh, Romans, Romans certainly isn't the same author as you know Ephesians or you know whatever," because 
and then all you know the style changed so much. Well, if you look at just any writer, how much does a style change from from any writer over the cor- course of twenty years, over the yeah. course of thirty years? Oh yeah. And uh, this isn't to say that uh, that uh, you know th- that Paul's earlier work isn't inspired. It certainly is, but his style is what seems to change. To you know, me. this rem- this is a. Uh, Maybe a, a different version of the same issue is, you know, got an email, wonderful email from one of our listeners, Wendy, and, and she talked about the deal breakers. She liked right. our deal breaker conversation and she got into depth about the Catholic Church in her email, really thorough researched email about Catholicism and, and, and the, all the deal breakers for her. <clears throat> Right. And I totally agree, you know, and one of the side notes there was, well, you know, the reformers often replicated some of the same problems. Like, you know, like, for example, John Calvin still thought Sunday was the Sabbath, you know, even though Luther said, no, the Sabbath was done away and no day is the Sabbath. So you but you can see where they they drew the line in different places in the sand. Right. And my but they might still keep like an Easter celebration or something like that. And my thought is why, why I like that always reforming. In other words, I see the value, the, the precious value of the reformers is not where they ended up. It's the trajectory With that where, they where took going. off on right. and that they put their life on the line for that trajectory. And so so I can benefit from the works of the reformers, not as an end in of themselves, right? but as this is, they're insisting on the core things, you know, sola scriptura, the original languages, right? Of, of, you know, the canon, sharpening the canon, all these things. And so in every generation, we'll see that in our own lives, just like your dad, maybe over 20 years or 30 years of writing. I know I can see my change in 20 years. Wow. And yeah. why, what is that? Yeah. And here's the other thing. If I look at my life, let's say I say I've been a believer for like 20 years. If I don't see any kind of transformation, if I can't see, oh, wow, I was there and then I was there and now I'm here. And I see an increase in wisdom and discernment and increase in in patience and and understanding of what we would call the doctrines of grace. If I don't see that, that should be a little bit of a flag, you know, in my own life. Right. We should be able to see a reforming tradition in our own discipleship. You've touched on pretty much every topic that we're going to talk about today. So thanks a lot, guys. Okay, have a good we go. have a good week. No, no I'm playing. <laughs> um, okay, let's. Uh, you know, so you brought up sola scriptura. I want to go first to this comment. The, the reason why is because, and you know, I try to have patience, and I try. You know, I'm trying to get better at, at understanding that. Um, you know, not everybody's on the same page. Um, everybody disagrees on different things. Um, and I'm not the sole authority of anything. And therefore I, you know, I need to take things with, you know, with grace. Um, however, I will say that this, this, this boiled my blood a little bit. This is a uh, comment on one of our, uh, on our last show on two, five, four. Um, and this person says, can either of you show conclusive evidence outside the New Testament supporting the Trinity. Now, hang on, pause right there. The first thing that really got to me is, why do you need conclusive evidence outside of the New Testament? Are you saying that not all 66 books are authoritative? If I find something in the apostolic scriptures in the New Testament that isn't in the Torah, does that mean it's any less credible? No, the answer is no. 66 book canon. 66 books, which means that if I find it in the apostolic scriptures and I find it time and time and time and time again, guess what? It's scripture. So there's no reason that I need to go outside of the apostolic scriptures. That's number one. Number two, the answer is absolutely. We find we find uh, the triune God all over Genesis, all over Exodus, all over Leviticus. The list, uh, every single book, we see this doctrine. And we see it in the deity of the pre-incarnate Yeshua as he arrives and uh, speaks with Abraham. We see it when he stands before the 70 elders and his under his feet is like a sheet of glass. We see it as the uh, Holy Spirit hovers over the waters. We see it in the creation narrative when he says, 
let us make man in our image. The, I mean, I could keep going. The, uh, the instances in Genesis alone are vast. <coughs> but the idea that for some reason I need to take myself out of certain books in the 66 book canon to prove something. You can use these books, but you can't use these books. Well, here's another example. It's ridiculous. Here's an example. And this is the Samaritan. What's the Samaritan dispute with, with the Jews is that Jerusalem's not mentioned in the Torah. Right. There's no, there's no mention of, of Jerusalem in the Torah. It's just the place that he will choose. So that, that's the same, it's the same beef. The Samaritans are saying to the Judeans, look, you guys say it's Jerusalem, but show me in the Torah. And they can't. You have to accept the Davidic kingship. You have to accept the ministry of, of uh, Samuel, the prophet. You have, to, you have to accept that he anointed first Saul, then King David. You have to accept Solomon. You have to accept Solomon built the temple. Right. Um, and the Samaritans say no to all that on the same thing. Show me in the Torah. Right. So if you want to do this show me in the Torah game, you have other problems besides yeah. show me the word Trinity or something like that. Right. Um, anyway. Um, so let's take a quick breather here and look at, uh, I put this up, I put a, a question up on our, on our Facebook page. The Facebook page uh, post says this. We have been having a discussion recently on the show about biblical authority. By the way, it's uh, Messiah Matters. So if you uh, if you go to facebook.com backslash Messiah Matters, all one word, um, you'll find our page. And like it and then comment all you will. Uh, so we've been having this discussion on the subject of biblical authority. What are your thoughts on the subject? Let us know in the comment section. Then I gave four options for this discussion. A, I think it's, uh, so these are, you know, what you would say about Biblical authority. A, I think it's vital for believers to be in a in community in order to be under biblical authority. Or B, I think biblical authority can come in the form of friends and family, so community doesn't need to provide that role. C, the Bible is the only authority I need, and we can take or leave faith communities. D, other, please explain. <clears throat> so we've had some, some good uh, comments on this. And um, one of them from Stan says, could you clarify or give an example of B and C? For example, isn't B basically a community of sorts? And with C, what type of faith community? Being Torah observant and understanding scriptures, I can't exactly jive with Catholics in a community. Okay. So what I meant by uh, the difference between, say, A and B, which would be, uh, well, B is I think biblical authority can come in the form of friends and family. So community doesn't need to provide that role. In other words, someone who's, who doesn't go to a uh, faith community like a, a messianic group or a church um, or something like that, but just says, oh, I have friends, they'll guide me. That's what I mean by that. In other words, I don't need a faith community. I got friends and family around. They can talk to me about whatever. Um so is that, you know, basically I don't need the authority, the authority structure of a, of a faith community. That's what I mean by that. Um, you know, Joshua, uh, his, his comments are right on. So, um, really good. Um, but what was the other one? Uh, yeah, I mean, and the, the idea of Catholicism you know, these are some of the things that we talked about in terms of deal breakers last week. You know, I think anybody who prays to someone other than God and or, um, you know, uses statues or icons uh, basically discounts themselves from a higher authority, which is the Torah and the Bible. And in so discounting themselves... Um, have to stand down as biblical authority. Now, they might have authority in other ways, but that doesn't mean that they have biblical authority in terms of faith community necessarily for us. So uh, that's, you know, and we're going to talk about our deal breakers here in a few minutes. But let's go to something a little lighter. 
Um, we got a lot to talk about today. Are we, are we coming back to that ABC thing? or Why don't you expand now? Oh, because just in case not. Yeah, if we're not coming back to it. I just wanted to point out that um, that number C, right, that we were just talking about, that the Bible is the only authority. A difficulty just before you even say take or leave the faith communities, that the Bible is the sole authority might sound like sola scriptura, right? Right. However, it the implication there is a group of of specialist individuals, scholars who know how to read the, and and are translating the Bible. So for I think for most people the Bible's the only authority I need. They might just jump on that and say yeah. But if you grab a Bible and they think this is the authority, they're actually um, tuned out from a whole bunch of truth about what they're doing. It's they're holding up that product of the millions of decisions that a team of humans made to put that product on the bookshelf of the Christian bookstore. You know what I mean? That, right. that um, and so they're, it's, it's a really, it's an imaginary space to think that I'm, I just have my King James or my NESV or what NASV, and I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to read it. And this is like the sole authority for my life. Um, because really there's a whole bunch of people between the original text and what I'm actually reading. Now we have the Holy spirit and I'm not, I don't mean to say that, that the translation isn't going to, uh, be a tool that the spirit uses for your correction, edification and instruction, etc. However, you don't want to fool yourself to imagine that men were not involved and women perhaps too were not involved in this transmission of the written word, translation of the written word and the, all the decisions pertaining to that. So that's that's one of the things that sticks out to me on that number C there. So well, and Joshua, I mean one of his comments <clears throat> he says, uh, he says, it seems like there are two contradicting statements in there. What I mean by this is that if the scripture is our only authority and the scripture says that we should not forsake the assembly, then how can you come to the conclusion that we can take or leave faith communities? Exactly. Right. And not only that, but if the scripture in multiple places continues to say that um, we are to... Um, to have authority over us. In other words, respect our teachers, that a, a charge can't come against, um, you know, a teacher except for, you know, uh, two or three witnesses. Right. It, it sets up deacons, it sets up elders, these kind of things. Um, then obviously I would say that C is not really an option. However, C was the first thing that someone chose. So, Who, so right. Because but the, the, the point here is that, that people are going to have different ideas of what the truth is on this. Unless they say that, oh, and unless they're in some sort of dispensational scheme or, or a kind of sense of history where like, oh, we don't have pastors anymore. We don't have, you know, right? So they read those passages and then they just say, oh, it's just like the, it's like the priesthood. You know, we don't have a I uh, think, I, I personally Levites think, anymore. I personally think that one of the biggest um, problems that we have in the Torah community, the Torah movement today, whatever you want to call that, <clears throat> is that people don't find biblical authority to be something to be valued. In other words, I don't need a, a faith community. I can sit at home and, and watch, you know, YouTube videos and learn, and that's good enough. And I think that that in and of itself is really detrimental. Sure. Well, I, I would guess that most of the most pastors in a local just evangelical church have at least put their life, put things on hold and, and said no to a whole bunch of things for at least what, two to four years to pursue education in the word of God and to pursue a ministry. So you're going to have to work harder than they did. Right. Right. To, to just discount them for the shortcomings theologically or, you know, or misunderstandings they have, but not do, but not work harder is, is putting yourself kind of like in a, you know, what do they call it? The Monday quarterback or whatever, like, right. It's, it's, or a sideline kind of um, commentary. 
you know, get in the game and work harder for the sheep, work harder to feed Yeshua's flock than those guys are and feed Yeshua's flock with better food. Right. You know, that take, I'll tell you what, that'll take everything you got. Well, beyond that, true biblical authority is subject to authority. So if, you know, if, if there's a pastor. Oh yeah, you will desire, you will seek out. So right, you'll yeah, if, if you're if you're a pastor in a, from, right. in a church and you say that you're the lead pastor and you don't think that you're under some form of authority because you're the highest there is, <clears throat> you've got another thing coming. The fact is is that all believers are under some form of authority. This is one of the reasons that I, you know, my father and everyone at Torah Resources has always um, been very adamant about dual leadership. I think it's important for every plurality, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's go on. Um, idolatry. I I got something in my. I've been. I'm getting over a sickness. Hang on, just a sec. Okay, let's try it again. Um, so this person says, "Question: I've heard of, never been, but heard of synagogues and messianic congregations parading around and kissing Torah scrolls and similar things. Is this considered idolatry? What is considered idolatry? Okay, well." Um, everything that happens in a Torah service it has some kind of meaning. So the, there is a, a very specific symbolism of what happens when the Torah is taken out of the Ark. When the Torah is taken out of the Ark, the person called the Chazan, who is a representative of, um, of Moses, takes the Torah out of the Ark, and the Ark is always up. It's always upstairs on a, you know, like on a platform or whatever. Mm-hmm. When they take the Torah out and they come down, it's representative of Moses. Everybody's coming, standing. Everybody's right. standing. Everybody, uh, it's representative of Moses coming down off the mountain. He then walks through the congregation. People take tzitzit or, or something, a book. They touch it to this Torah scroll and they touch it to their lips. Why do they do this? Because uh, it's a representation that we want the Torah to be on our lips all the time. Um, and then it goes through the congregation and comes back up and then is read. Is this idolatry? No. I don't think I so. I don't think so. Is it misunderstood by a lot of people? Yeah, yes. I can understand how people go, uh... Yeah, exactly. I don't like that. Um, and, you know, honestly, I, these are all traditions. They're traditions of, of the modern synagogue. So wh- while it might have... Um, uh, good uh, explanations. If a congregation or if a person's uncomfortable with it, then uh, don't do it and or take it out of the service. These aren't, you know, modern Torah service is uh, part of modern Judaism and therefore um, these are just traditions and can be can be moved around and replaced. Um, I, I would s- say that things that I find in um, Catholicism uh, tend to be, you know, I have a real hard time with icons. So when I walk into a church and I see a icon of, you know, a, a Jesus, uh, you know, what's supposed to be a representation of Jesus, or I see a statue of Mary that people are praying in that direction of, or, you know, when people are praying to s- saints or um, any of these kind of things, the, these seem much more idolatrous. And when I say seems, I mean, to me, they are idolatrous because the scriptures, the Torah clearly says not to do these things. Right. Um, so yeah, that's my answer. Okay. Let's go on. Uh, hello, Robin, Caleb. Hello to you. Um, <laughs> I obviously wasn't clear. Now, this is, this comes from the person who wrote the comment last week about choosing some things and not choosing the other. This is on the Deal Breakers um, oh. show. Okay. And so the question is, I obviously wasn't clear enough in my post, and I'm sorry for that. Thanks for attempting to answer me. My comment had nothing to do with salvation. I agree with you on that. My comment had to do with my understanding of what you were saying. What I heard was reject some and turn a blind eye to others. God is just, and that didn't sound just to me. That's all. And this was from Donna. Um, Yeah, I mean, this is a fantastic point and uh, one that I think needs some clarification. There's actually a lot of things that needed clarification from our previous show. Actually, uh, one of... uh, dear brother in the Lord and someone who I 
she is my uh, one of my spiritual authorities uh, called me on the idea that this is off topic from Donna's question, by the way, um, called me on the idea that we're not under governmental authority um, and said to me, you know, uh, we are under governmental authority. If you see lights behind you when you're driving, oh, you pull, right, right, you right, pull right. over. And if you get a ticket, uh, you have to go to the court authority and uh, present your case and or just pay it. This is under biblical authority. I totally agree with that. Now, uh, this gentleman, my good friend, he, he went farther and said he thinks that, that uh, the passages that I don't think are talking about government authority are talking about government authority. We're talking about Romans 13, 1 through 5, so on and so forth. There's one in Second Peter as well. Um, and, and at the end of it, he said, okay, well, I disagree with you um, on this. Um, and this is a uh, this is a conversation that certainly is a very large conversation and could take um, a full show. So we're not going to get into it now. But just to clarify, yes, I agree with this brother in the Lord that there is certainly some form of government authority that we are under. There's no doubt about it. Um, now, how far we want to take that, that's a totally different thing. Um, so I'm sorry, back to Donna's question now. Um, so I think the basic thrust of her comment is, what I heard was reject some and turn a blind eye to others. God is just. That didn't sound just to me. That's all. Okay. Um, I, I agree. And I think that basically what needs to be clarified here is that our list of deal breakers is personal. It comes down to personal conviction and preference. And what I mean by that is, if I am someone who is, let's see here, what's a good example? If I'm someone who is trying to con- not only convince, but trying to turn people's minds to the idea that Yeshua is in fact deity, then I might seek out congregations that doesn't believe that. So I can try right. to influence. You know, if I um, am, you know, if I'm looking for someone who is anti-Sabbatarian. You know, uh, Jeff Durbin's, this is maybe a good example. Jeff Durbin is a, I find him to be a a brother in the Lord. I think he's done some great work. Um, We've talked about Durbin. He's talked about us. Um, He certainly does not agree with us and he thinks that we're totally out to lunch. But if someone wanted to go, you know, someone was a Sabbatarian and wanted to go to a place that, you know, where they think that you're a heretic if you're a Sabbatarian, then they might seek that kind of church out, okay? Um, and this could be said for all sorts of different things. One deal breaker for me might be exactly what you're looking for, <laughs> you know, in your walk. Um, I knew somebody and know someone who uh, was going to a reform church and didn't want to go to a Messianic congregation because the Messianic congregations in the area did not believe in the doctrines of grace. That was a deal breaker for him. He didn't want to have to explain to his children um, that the that God wasn't in control according to the church that they were going to. That's how he saw it. Now, that ne- wouldn't necessarily be a deal breaker for me. In fact, uh, I've talked about um, different relatives that uh, are pastors um, that I'm related to and uh, that do not believe in the doctrines of grace. And we still visit that church on, on a semi-regular basis, I'd say. Um so the point is, is that my list of, of deal breakers are more for my own personal uh, opinions and or what I want from a community. Now, this goes farther, and this will get into our main topic for the day. Do you want to say anything on that before I move on? No, no. Okay. The question that Robin, you know, Rob and I get together on Mondays every Monday morning um, via Skype, and we we discuss what we're going to talk about on the upcoming show. We look at emails and, and anything else, and, and see if there's something that's kind of uh, piqued our interest in the past couple of days. And one of the things that I mentioned was, you know, we've been talking about biblical authority. We've been talking about. Um, community and these kind of things. And one of the things that I said on Monday to Rob was, you know, it would be very difficult for me to go somewhere where they are promoting a, you know, where they're the person that they just love to listen to is a Michael Rood or a um, Monty Judah. However, that doesn't mean that I discount these people fully. You know, if, if, 
you know, I've had people who have strongly that I've strongly disagreed with write me and say, I really appreciated your article on this or I really appreciated your show on this. Okay, that's great. And I'm happy that, you know, people are, are able to glean from stuff that we're doing. But this launched us into the idea of who's your hero. And what we mean by that is who is what I took from that was who's the, the modern day person that you are excited about. It and could I, be more than one. It could be. It could be many. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's you got a handful or more. Yeah. Yeah, but the, but the, the thing that, that struck me is I think one of the biggest issues that we've had in the Torah communities today is people a, attaching themselves to heroes that should not be seen as heroes. In other words, you know, and then we talked about aha moments as well, and, and we'll get into this in a few seconds. But, you know, for me, one of my, my modern day biblical heroes, when I say biblical heroes, I mean someone who preaches the word or, you know, is like R.C. Sproul. Now, R.C. Sproul, to me, he, he's, he's just done amazing things with uh, theology and, and uh, the way that he explains things. And he, I think that he comes from a very, and I've talked about R.C. Sproul a lot on this show. And the reason why is because I think that he has laid a foundation for theology that, I, that, that comes from the Bible and therefore I stand on. And because of this, I think that my listening to and my understanding of scriptural um, interpretation from that perspective has essentially clouded some of what I think. I think it's for a good, you know, I think it's clouded by the Bible. And so therefore I, I appreciate that. But I think that some people are, are attaching themselves to Bible teachers, t- Bible teachers who a either haven't done the hard work or are, uh, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's not the Bible teacher uh, that you would want people listening to. And that's one of the, re- that's where some of my deal breakers come from. You know, we talked about Paleo Hebrew. We talked about, you know, we didn't talk oh, about yeah. flat earthers, but you know, these kind of things. Paleo Hebrew, sacred namers, flat earthers, all these kind of things. Th- these are what have permeated the Torah movement today, so much so that it's almost a laughing stock by the outside world, right? And why is that? It's because you got teachers who are pushing these things. What do you think, Rob? What 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 do you think of when you think yeah, of biblical I, heroes? I go back to those passages in the scripture where it says the beginning of of wisdom is fear of the Lord or the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. We see both those in the Proverbs and in the Psalms. And to me, what that means is, so we, we call these people heroes, you know, but they would not want to be called heroes. We're, we're using it in a fun tongue in cheek kind of sense. These people, sure. the people who have meant most to me in their scholarship and stuff that the people who have helped me. In other words, I'm in a time where I, there's, I'm drowning in some sort of faith crisis, right? Where I don't understand something. The people who the Lord used to clarify thought for me that I could hold on to and it helped me get a purchase on, on you know, like, I, like I'm climbing that, you know, the guys who climb El Capitan or whatever, right? Without the ropes. They, they, they're looking for these places where they can hold, hold on to so they won't fall. It's, it's the servants of that do that kind of work for me that I'm talking about. And they're going to see themselves as probably just like Moses and Aaron. They, they're going to say, don't call me a hero. You know, um, like you remember Moses and Aaron, they fall on their face, you know, right. like Cora comes up. Why do you guys think you're so good? Why are you in leadership? You shouldn't be in leadership. Boom. Right. They're like, you don't even know what you're talking about. And we're, we're falling on our face because we're nothing. And, and so that's, that's what's so important at the beginning of, of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom and the fear of, is the fear of the Lord. What that means is the person who understands fear and reverence of Adonai is the person who's, if that's true, if they are genuinely reverent of, of God and his holiness and his word, etc., they are going to approach learning, whether it's chokmah, you know, wisdom or da'at, they're going to learn, they're going to approach it from a a position of humility and uh, a sense of 
of uh, care, attention to great attention to detail, uh, not presumptuously. And they're going to seek to learn from other people who've gone before them. It's just your typical Proverbs. And so they're going to value, there is something called wisdom. There is something called knowledge. And what I see, and someone emailed me the other day, hey, had you ever heard of this certain teacher? And I'm like, yeah. And I classify them as the speculative sensationalist. In other words, they, they're selling books based on high speculation and 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 a little bit of sizzle from sensationalist kind of thing and my problem there is you know there's a book market out there and sometimes it could be the publishers that are trying to get it out of these sure, guys sure to sell they want to sell the book you've got to be careful for that because that's not necessarily knowledge and wisdom in biblical terms and my, so my heroes, if we're going to use that term, are those people who I really believe have helped me sharpen the category of what is knowledge, what is wisdom, and then everything else is like noise for me. And I think a lot of the people out there, like we're talking about these these teachers that, that are teaching Paleo-Hebrew or just stuff that they haven't learned for themselves out of because of their own hypocrisy, right? They teach Hebrew, but they've never actually taken a Hebrew class. They've never passed that. See, and this but, is the thing. This is where the local pastors who've done two years of Hebrew, <laughs> these guys teaching the Paleo Hebrew and all this stuff, but have done none Hebrew, no Hebrew, but they think they're better than these pastors. I'm like, you got another thing coming. You got to work harder than that guy. And it's hip, hip, hypoc hypocrisy. hypocrisy. It's hypocritical. There you go of you to claim all this knowledge and to be selling this knowledge, quote, quote unquote, because it's not real knowledge about Hebrew, but you haven't actually done it yourself. And that's hypocrisy. When somebody's out peddling something that they truly don't, they don't have their own ownership and they're not in a peer review type of environment. Because what happens without a peer review environment is that a person just makes up their own thing. And and that's the blind leading blind when, you know, people just follow them and they all fall into a pit together. Yeah. So, so, you know, this kind of goes to a couple of other things. I mean, the aha moments that I had an aha moment this last SBL and I had already kind of had it earlier than that, but um, it really smacked me in the face. And the reason why was because, you know, I think everyone who listens to this show on a regular basis knows that one of the, the points of interest for me is meals in the Gre Greco-Roman society. And the reason why is because I'm writing very slowly and very, I mean, it's been put on hold Carefully. numerous times, oh, yeah. but I, I continue to try to, to chip away at, uh, you know, what I've called my thesis, which is basically on the Eucharist and or the Last Supper. Well, this last year at SBL, I found out that there was a, a entire session all the way through the SBL on meals in the Greco-Roman era. Well, perfect. This is great. This is exactly what I'm interested in. So I'm going to, you know, I looked in the book and sure enough, I, it's all the way through. So there's, you know, I mark every single lecture in that, in that category and I'm going to go and listen to the whole thing. I got in there and I realized that I knew absolutely nothing. Everything that I had researched, everything that I thought I knew, everything that I thought, oh, I, you know, these people don't have any clue because they haven't studied it. I realized I was the person who didn't have any clue because these guys were so far above me and so and knew so much more. And every, I hung on every single word. Why? Because they were experts in this one specific field. And all of a sudden, you know, and this is, this is, this kind of thing is cross-denominational. It didn't matter if you were Methodist. It didn't matter if you were Catholic. It didn't matter if whatever. You know, Andrew McGowan, who is a uh, an Anglican, I think he's an Anglican bishop. But anyway, Andrew McGowan is is uh, one of the foremost leaders in this group because he's done so much work on uh, meals in the Greco-Roman era. He's become kind of this. Uh, you know, the scholarly person that I look up to in terms of this field, even though I totally disagree with him on other theological issues. I think that it's important for us as believers to realize that there is a sense of, I don't know anything. 
that's see Caleb that's what I'm talking about like the fear of the Lord in other words I I truly believe that the humility with which you are able to go wow and to say I don't know and I need to listen for a while I need to listen to what these guys have to say and reframe my approach that is a gift that's okay, a gift but, from the but, Lord and, but, I, and I think we should all recognize I hope that we all have a moment or moments like that Otherwise, we're never going to become like a child. You okay, know, but, we're never going to have that heart. I agree with you, but here's the here's the point. I, I need to finish that sentence. I, I think because I, you know, I, it was the end of a sentence, but I I can hear the emails already starting to be typed. What I mean by that, what I mean by we don't know anything. Certainly, we know stuff about the Word of God, right? And certainly, we know about, you know, we, within the Torah movement. I think a lot of people have come to this understanding of, oh my word, I I had missed something. There was this this aha moment. Light bulb goes on. Oh my word, look at how important the Sabbath is, right? Or you know, look how how wonderful and blessed we are to keep the festivals. These kind of aha moments. So we do know something, but what has happened because of that is because is because of those little aha moments of, oh my word, it's right in front of me. I should have known. You have these people who become teachers and then look down on everyone else in the Christian movement or in the scholarly world and say, these people don't know anything that they're talking about. When the opposite is true, like what you were talking about, Rob, is this idea of, no, these people actually have done a lot of work maybe in one specific area or, you know, they have, you know, uh, we've met people like Dr. Bach, who is a, you know, his focus has been Luke Acts his entire life and he's written huge, massive commentaries on Luke Acts. Now, I don't agree with everything. In fact, I disagree with Dr. uh, Bach on a lot of different things. But as I'm writing my notes on the book of Acts, one of the key commentaries I keep going back to is Dr. Box. Why? Because Dr. Box has, has spent literally a lifetime in these books. He knows so much more than I ever could hope to know about the book of Acts. So even though I might disagree with him on many things, when I look at him and I look at his work, there's so much that can be gleaned, even if I disagree. And what I see from the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement is this idea of these people are idiots. They're Christians, don't listen to them. They're Christians, throw them out. Listen to me because I know more. And to me, this is, you know, this is getting back to the idea of religious superiority, which we talked about several shows ago. And, you know, ultimately we can tie this back into, I'll stop talking in just a second, I promise. Um, Ultimately, we can tie this back into the idea of community because we got, I mean, I got tons and tons of emails from people saying that, oh, you know, how could you say that you would go to a Christian church and all these kind of things. The point is, is if you aren't happy with the idea of going somewhere where you disagree with people, my point in all of that was, okay, that's fair enough. You don't have to go somewhere where you disagree with people, but you need to be in a community of believers. So you either need to find people around you or something where you can agree enough to be in community. That was my point. In other words, to take the mindset of I know better than everyone is not the mindset that we should have as believers. I'll stop there and go. (laughs) Good stuff. I mean, do you have anything else to say about you? You had an aha moment, right? Oh, I've had a new, numerous aha moments, but I remember one one of my big ones was when I first took biblical Hebrew in college, versus what I'd been taught about Hebrew word pictures and all this kind of stuff. Um, and it's just like, man, it felt like going back to kindergarten, and that was okay because that's what was most important, right? I need a grip on this for myself because there's so many voices out there that are conflicting and they all sound good. Like each sound, each by itself has a certain sound. It's like, okay, I could buy that. Oh, I could buy that. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, I can't have both those things. And so there's a little bit of that cognitive dissonance or whatever. Both these guys can't be right. And that was in the nineties, you know, and then that Lord used that as a, to drive me and show me the value of learning Hebrew. And as I learned Hebrew, I was, had to go, wow, I had to start cleaning the closet, like throw away that, throw away that, you know, that's, this like has nothing to do with anything except for some guy promoting an idea and getting paid 
to lead people the wrong way, you know, making it, getting a livelihood on misleading people. And they probably think, don't even realize it themselves. Right. But it's the, that's why Yeshua says the blind leading the blind. They won't See, they all fall into a pit. And this isn't to say that scholars, you know, scholars are always right. I mean, I no, sat, exactly. I sat in, I sat in on a, on a lecture. I went to, I saw something that was on the Eucharist, right. And, and uh, the Lord's supper. And, and I thought, okay, I want to go to this. So I went and uh, <clears throat> this, this man had a doctorate and uh, you know, you could tell that he had done research, but he hadn't done, perhaps he hadn't been led in the correct research, I would say, um, because I, I think that the most cutting edge of, of the, what has been uh, found recently, he had no clue about. I had to get up and leave because it was, it was obvious that I wasn't going to um, see eye to eye on, on anything that he yeah. was saying because of the research that I had done from a lot of other scholars. Um, and that wasn't to be haughty towards him. I just, I just didn't think that I was actually part of it came from the idea of, I don't want to ruin this guy's lecture. I didn't want to raise my hand at the end and say, have you, you know, done, you know, have you considered all of these other scholars? You know, it, it was more of, I need to just let this, you know, let his audience, uh, hear what he's saying. Um, so, and you know, I think one of the things that a lot of people, might hear and then get frustrated about is okay. Who do I listen to? This is a and that is that's a problem we all are confronted right. by. That's the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's like you got it. Here's what you start. You start with worship of you know the God of Israel, right? And you you start the hard work. You you it's not a drive through coffee, you know. You're going to learn from someone for a while and then, but you, you're the horizon of what you're, of your learning, the horizon of your discipleship is beyond this teacher you're listening to, right? If they mark, if they, if they mark the horizon for you, then how are you ever going to disagree? You got to have you, you, right? So anyway, it's like learning to walk and we all got to learn to walk. And you're no going to crawl before you walk. But for you know some what? of us, it means getting into the original languages a little bit and some getting really, you know, into manuscripts and variant readings and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's not everybody has to get into that. Biblical literacy starts by, by reading your Bible. Ultimately Re read your Bible and pray on a daily basis. And this is, this is where to start. And then, uh, you know, th and ask questions. Yeah. And there's a reason, there is a good reason why, um, people in, people in the, you know, you can say, oh, this, this guy is a leading scholar in this area. Why? Well, you might not agree with him on everything, but guess what? He's done his work. So at least you can see his footnotes and see where he got it from, you know? Right. And so, what it means, the scholars that we're talking about, they've asked more questions than you have, right? Like when I go and I learn from the Masora guys or the Midrash guys or, or whatever, or I'm reading a book from one of my favorite scholars, the reason that's a, the reason I'm learning from them is because they've pushed and asked questions that I hadn't even thought about yet. I didn't even know those questions could be asked, let alone that, that there was a way to answer them. And so I, that's what it is. You have to ask better questions. And the only way you can, you have to learn to ask questions and then you'll learn to ask a better question. But just to ask questions and never grow in any skills that's just, that's, you're asking somebody else to do the labor. You got to be willing to labor for the questions that you're asking. Hey, Rob. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. Um, we have some interesting uh, banter going on in the, well, not banter, but some interesting comments in the comment room. room. Jesse says, uh, first time ever that I'm here for a live show. Welcome, Jesse. Welcome. We are very happy that you're here. Chris says, Shalom from New Zealand. Watching the show over the last month or so has been an aha moment after uh, moment after moment. <laughs> All right. Very great. cool. Um, yeah. And we had some other uh, uh, new it's, uh, visitors. Uh, uh, Chris, just a footnote there. Caleb and I, we're in the middle of winter here. So like we, I've got like over a foot something of snow. Uh, and I know that in New Zealand it's summer. So yeah. Um, 
I'm looking forward to the summertime. Did I hear correctly? This is totally off biblical topics. Did I hear correctly that New Zealand is the only place on earth that doesn't have snakes as like naturally there? Has like like I, snakes? Yeah, they don't have snakes. That's what I heard. I might move to New Zealand. That that is that is definitely on the list now. <laughs> okay, sorry, um, that was. <laughs> <laughs> so we got New Zealand and Australia represented. Wow, very cool. And I know that there's a lot of other places. I, it's always fun when people start listening where they're from. We got people that usually listen in the chat room from Holland. We have people who listen from I mean all over the world. It's it's really quite incredible. We, I know that we have people in. Uh, yeah, Chris says no snakes. Wow. Um, it sounds like uh, it sounds like the Garden of Eden. Well, no, I guess there was, uh, I guess there were snakes in there, wasn't there? Okay, uh, let's see here. We have a couple more minutes. We have, yeah, about three or four more minutes. Let's see this one. Neil writes, "This is a great question." And Charlene, I think we'll probably have to get to your comment. Uh, you you asked about Genesis nine three. We'll probably have to get to your comment next week. Um, Neil writes in. He says, "I was listening to Messiah Matters show number two five four and have a question that kept coming to my mind." So in order for me to be a part of a community, I would have to join a traditional Sunday-keeping church because there are no Torah communities in my area. I honestly have no issue with this. Even though I disagree with some of their beliefs, I in no way think that I am superior to anyone. Being in this situation and having young kids that would be involved in Sunday school there, how would I deal with Christmas and Easter time without going against authority? If I didn't participate with the church during this time, wouldn't that be going against authority? What if they wanted me or my kids to uh, be part of the Christmas service or even in charge of the Easter ham? Yeah, look, this is a question. Um, Fair. A, I mean, that's this is a great <laughs> question. Yeah. Um, you know, and honestly, I don't want anyone to hear me say that we, as <clears throat> Torah observant believers, uh, or Torah pursuant believers aren't going to come with opposition. I know people. We have people in our chat room on a great, uh, on a regular basis, who have been literally kicked out of their church. Pastors, deacons have said it would be better if you just didn't come. Um, and I haven't, I haven't had to experience that. Now I've, I've, you know, we talk when we talk about person. I was writing on this uh, this morning in in my in when I'm my research for my Acts uh, notes. When we think of persecution, especially in, in the Western cultures, we don't have persecution like in other parts of the world. There are believers who are being lit on fire, who are being beaten, who are um, being put in prison and all sorts of things for their faith. And um, we are just so fortunate uh, in the West that, that it hasn't come to that for us yet. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we don't face persecution. Okay, believers today and even believers in the Christian church face persecution. We can fa face persecution from friends and from family members who don't understand or um, who uh, are opposed to our beliefs. We can find uh, opposition from uh, people who uh, take a totally different stance and aren't religious and think that they're being persecuted. There's all sorts of different uh, forms of persecution. And so this can be one of them. And I don't want to discount the idea that uh, Torah-pursuant believers can be persecuted for their belief. With that said, um, I think that you... that. Depending on the church you go to, it. Uh, I I think that we have to remember that all authority is under biblical authority. The pastors are under the biblical authority of the Bible, and therefore, if they are going against something that the Bible says, then I think that uh, obviously the Bible wins out. I would not allow my child, my children, to um, be a part of a Christmas, uh, you know, celebration. Depending on the celebration, um, or. Um, you know, something that, something like that. And it all depends, obviously, you know, some people might not find an issue with their children telling the story of the birth of Christ. Well, one approach could be too, is to meet, like, let's say you come to a, a community and you're considering visiting there, meet and, and be forthcoming, right? Or, or be forthright about, about who you are and your convictions. And you can do that with humility and grace. Right. And, and you can say, you know, I think that, you know, there's maybe I could teach a biblical Hebrew class here or something if you've got some Hebrew skills or um, but you could you could say, 
probably, you know, there's certain things, not probably certain things that, that we wouldn't be participating in. And will that be, will that come across as offensive or will that come across as uh, uh, sending the signal that, that you're going to not want us to be here at all, you know, and you can just address that right up front. I've had, if, per, I, I have had personal uh, experience with, with this. Um, a year ago, my family, we vacationed down in California on, from time to time. My uncle, um, who is a, a wonderful believer in the Lord and has uh, done great work for the kingdom, is a pastor down in California at a Baptist church. And I've, t- I've spoken about my Uncle Dave uh, numerous times on this show. Um, uncle Dave thinks that we're completely out to lunch about the Torah and doesn't understand why, you know, I think some of the traditional arguments, why we would want to put ourselves back into the, the law and all these kind of things. Well, we were going to be visiting down there, and my children were uh, were with us, obviously, and and uh, so we wanted to go stay a night at uh, my uncle's house, and it just so happened that they had it was at the very beginning of December, and uh, they were having some kind of a Advent, I don't know, whatever, not Advent, but uh, you know, it, it was it was their way of reaching out to the community in the Christmas season. My uncle said, "Hey, man, I'd love for you, your family to come. You know, we all we have a full choir and a full orchestra, and we sing songs about the birth of of Jesus." I said, "Thought, you know what? That's great. I would love my my family to be able to experience that." So we went, and uh, it w- certainly was a full production. I mean, they have a six five six thousand person church, I believe, and wow. uh, you know they had a full orchestra, they had a full choir, they had a kids choir. Uh, it was spared at no expense, and it, and it was free for the whole community. But uh, as I would expect, their entire tr- church was decorated uh, for Christmas time, and all of the uh, you know a lot of the songs had you know Christmas in it and all these kind of things. Well, my son, being the person that he is, about halfway through, turns to me in the middle of a song, and he says to me, "Dad, if we don't celebrate Christmas, why are we celebrating it with them?" Out of the mouth of babes, right? And so this is a, you know, and I said, you know what, son, you're right. This is, normally we wouldn't participate in this, but they're celebrating the birth of Christ and, and uh, you know, but it really made me think. And it made me realize that if I was going to attend a church on a regular basis, the Christmas season, I would have to find somewhere else or something else to do. Now, that might not be the case for every church, and it might not be the case for every believer. I'm not trying to judge other people. But this question from Neil is poignant to me because, yeah, I, as a believer and as someone who does visit churches on a regular basis, I have to essentially stop going during the month of December, wherever I might be at that time. And the reason why is because I don't want my children to be confused by that. Um, It's just not something that I want to, to have to to deal with at this point. Um, so yeah, I think it's, I, you know, if you can get away with not going, but at some point, you know, the church that you go to might say to you, Hey, you know, I, I have to take, basically the answer to this is I have to take the authority from the father over the authority of the church at that point. That's the ultimate, you know, the ultimate authority supersedes that of the authority of man. And we see this in acts, acts three at the end of it. We must do what God says and yeah. not what you, what this council says. So, yeah, you know, it's not, it's not an easy path. Yeshua never promised that this would be an easy path for any of us. Yeah. Sorry. So, um, but he expect he has standards. He expects us to behave in spiritual maturity, in truth, in love, in grace, in forgiveness in understanding right and understand one of the things about understanding is that know that we i wasn't born with all the right doctrinal knowledge right and so why am i going to hammer on somebody else who you know also doesn't have what i consider right doctrinal knowledge i want to try to build relationship and interact i'm not going to push it and there are deal breakers, right? And we each need to grow and mature into where those are because each one of our situations is completely different. There might be certain things that tie over between our different situations, but in the morning and in the evening, you know, it's 
It's me laying down. It's me rising up, right? It's me loving God and loving my neighbor. And, right, I can't love God for Caleb, right? Mm -hmm. Caleb can't love God for me. We're accountable, and we're to we're to do all things for Messiah as but unto the, Him. This is when this is where the joy the joy of of a relationship with the Messiah really comes in. You know, the thing is, is that I'm not going to I'm not trying to um, go and convert people. Oh, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas. But I've had people ask me about things, not because I'm you know bashing people over the head with it. But I hope and I think it's because I have a love for God and it shows in my family. My family has a love for God. We try our hardest to love other people and to show the love of Christ to other people. And because of this, people want to know, well, we haven't seen you or, you know, oh, well, Caleb, what do you think about this or things like that? And it's those kind of opportunities where we say, well, you know, actually somebody asked me just the other day, oh, well. Are you, you know, do you go somewhere on, you know, Saturday or, or how does that work? I say, yeah, we're Sabbatarians. <laughs> and she said, but you're Sabbatarians on Saturday, right? I said, yeah, that's what, you know, we believe. That's what we believe. And that I left it at that. But it's my hope that the love of the Messiah will shine through my family to these other people where they'll start to say, well, man, wh- Why? Why are you a Sabbatarian on Saturday? Those kind of things. So, all right, it's been a good discussion, and the chat room has just been uh, blowing up. It's a, it's good to see everybody chatting and having a good time. We really appreciate all of the newcomers uh, to the chat room. Sometimes we interact with the chat room more often than um, other times, um, but there are people in the chat room who are just they got unbelievable minds and from all over the world, right? England and and. Uh, New Zealand and Australia, so it's always good to see the discussions that go on in in uh, the chat room. Um, we hope that uh, you've enjoyed it. We really, really, really do build this show off of our uh, correspondence with other with people, and so we'd like you to be part of the conversation. Do that by calling our comment line two five three four six five thirty two zero five. It's two five three four six five thirty two zero five. If you have something that you want us to talk about, if you want us to clarify something, or whatever it may be. You can agree with us, disagree with us. Give us a call. It's just a comment line. You don't talk to us. You can leave a message and we'll listen to it. We listen to every single message that comes through on the comment line. And you can also write us an email. This email address goes directly to me, chegg at torresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. You can send Rob emails as, as well. His is, is V or R Vanhoff, R, R Vanhoff Van yeah. at torresource.com. So R Vanhoff at torresource.com. Seahagatorresource.com. And then, of course, don't forget to go to Torah Resource and find all sorts of great free stuff. Read articles. Keep us in prayer. We're getting ready to go places, do things, and uh, we need your prayer. We hope this conversation has done one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. 